Hi, my name is Steve Taylor. Welcome to the ShareEd podcast, created by Robinhood Multi-Academy Trust. Today we're going to be focusing on how you effectively roll out a concept. Now this is something, whether you're a subject leader, whether you're a phase leader, a deputy head, a new head teacher, an experienced head teacher, a mat leader, even if you're not in education, rolling out a concept is often a really tricky thing. And we're really interested in the thought processes that takes an initial idea from that little nugget all the way through to what makes something a really winning concept that has wide impact. And when we're thinking about who we're going to bring onto this podcast to talk about developing a concept, we came up with the conclusion that there should be no one other than Joe Pennell. Now, for those of you who don't know Joe, Joe's our school improvement lead at Robin Hood Matt, but he's also been head teacher at some of our hardest schools to turn around. Joe has often had his back to the wall and worked in some really testing situations, so he understands what it's like to roll out a concept in tough situations and with well-developed teams. So without further ado, let's get started. Okay, Joe, so welcome to the podcast. Now, for those people listening, we've got Joe on today because of all the people that I've come across and we've met at the the Trust who are adept at rolling out concepts and new things, Joe is probably, well, he is the best that we've come across because his ability to take an idea and to map it out to put stepping stones in place and then execute that idea with staff and push it out into schools is second to none. So it seemed like a good idea to get Joe on and have a see how Joe's mind operates in terms of those um, rolling out ideas. So welcome, Joe. Hi, Steve. So, you know, when you're um, coming up with ideas and you're thinking about a whole school concept, can you just talk us through your starting process and some of the conscious thoughts that go on in your head to get you started. I think, I think to be to be totally honest, initially, <clears throat> in order for any sort of concept to get off the ground, um, you've got to have some sort of prerequisites in place in the school. Um, one of those being having a sort of effective leadership in place for to initiate that sort of development, which is which is really about. Um, having an environment that sort of promotes the participation of uh, sort of teacher and teacher development. Um, you've got to get also set some pretty, pretty clear goals and expectations of, of kind of what you want in, in the school's development. Um, you've got to introduce some real clear systems for sort of planning, coordinating, evaluating, teaching and learning. Um, and then a real key one, sort of strategic resourcing. You've got to, you've got to get, the right people um, and the right things in place in order for those sort of concepts to succeed. And that's, you know, that's a long-term thing, really. That's about getting the right people on the bus and then the right people in the right seats to sort of steer the school in the, in the sort of um, the direction you want to go in. <clears throat> yeah. And then I think another key concept, uh, and this is sort of born out of the sort of schools I've been in and how they've developed, and that's making sure there's a sort of real orderly and supportive environment in within the school i think once you've got that in place you've got to really have an effective sort of teacher development process in place as well um you know you want those teachers to to sort of improve i've been in situations where schools have been spiraling out of control and 
you know, some pretty bad things have been have been sort of implemented prior to prior to me being there. Yeah. Um, and sort of developing developing those staff are really important. So, <clears throat> you know, it's making sure you've got staff that 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 do engage in improvement programs, and that's and you've got in place a sort of supportive and regular process that has a sort of regular rhythm to it that people can start really sort of buying into and 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 that they know that supports their um sort of development okay um teachers teachers needs also need to be taken into account and what their views are and what their developments are and how they how they perceive the context of the school and, and what you're going to be putting in place um you also have to have opportunities or create opportunities for teachers to discuss um with each other sort of theories and practice and, and ideas um, and opportunities for them to sort of have a clear impact on, 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 on their development. So you, you've got to have a couple of things in place first. And that all boils down to sort of developing quite an, an effective culture and environment for development. Yeah. And that's, that's basically a safe and positive environment where the kids are behaving and the, and the staff feel confident to try things and get things wrong and, and get things right and make mistakes. Um, where teachers feel that they can collaborate with each other, no peer collaboration. So teachers working together to solve problems, feel comfortable in sharing problems, um, feel comfortable in, in saying what they're struggling with, knowing that there's sort of developmental culture in the school. Yeah. And then, you know, making sure the leadership are supporting teachers to address any concerns, um, making sure that professional development has got sufficient time so that sort of resources and, and things that are put in place can enhance the teaching. And then, and that sort of develops a culture of trust and respect and openness and, and, a, and a commitment to, you know, sort of developing children's um, achievement. So those are the basics you've got in place now. That said, you know, if you're, if you're taking on a school that's been spiralling, you know, you're talking a couple of years to, to get those things in place. Yeah. And until that point, you know, it's quite a top-down approach that you're using to, to implement systems. Um, but, you know, if we take this from, a, from a, a perspective where a school's in a good place and they've got all those things in place, they've got a positive culture and they've got a staff um, that, that's, that's got, you know, a really healthy climate for change, then you're in with a shout. So if all those systems are in place and you, you, you've got staff and a leadership team who are com, you know, continually looking for the next thing and, and looking at, at, at research-informed practice to, to solve problems, then you're in with a chance. Yeah. You know, and from there, I suppose... I, I've got a little. I've got a system that I kind of use to to try and maximise on on the success of, of sort of implementing concepts and things. So talk us through that because when I there there are two things that really jump out at me when I'm looking at how you operate. What the first is is that it always seems to me when I'm discussing things with you that you've got, always got a really strong mental image of the concept and you've got a natural a natural way that you see the stepping stones for what needs to be done so your brain your brain maps it out you you do that really um it's inherent in how you approach things that's how it looks to me and then the the other thing is that 
really stands out is your ability to get people on board and then improving the concept so that you're not too precious about you obviously you've got you put parameters in place but it always seems to me that you've got about three or four key drivers who are always chomping at the bit in the schools and they're always wanting to help push this out which goes a massive massive way to making something success so can you tell us a little bit about tell us a bit about how you think you know that that overlay am i right in saying that or i mean only you know how you think don't you but <laughs> probably quite hard to explain i don't know but you definitely think in a different way to most people tell us about when you come up with an idea what you do to take that idea and build it into a concept i think you're right it's really i mean when you asked me about this I had to really think about it because you're right. I mean, a lot of that sort of tacit knowledge, isn't it? You just do it on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And actually unpicking it and making it explicit is, is not, is not an easy thing. No. So, so this is, this is kind of, I've tried to, I've tried to systematize this and think exactly how to do it, which is not easy. Um, Cause there's always a lot of nuances and things to those sort of things. So this is what I do is uh, first of all, you've got systems in place within the school already that I've just spoken about previously. And that enables you to um, have discussions and unpick issues and identify anything that needs developing. Yeah. What, what, I, what I will then do is because I'm really interested in sort of research informed practice and stuff. Yeah. Um, I will spend quite a bit of time going away and exploring research informed strategies. Um, but not just using them willy-nilly. I really think deeply about whether they fit the context of, of the school that I'm in um, and being really wary of sort of lethal mutation as well because if you take something that, that's based on research and you change it too much, you bend it so much out of shape that that research is totally null and void. So yeah. you've got to be really careful that you're not distorting it completely, but you've got to really think about the sort of context that you're in there isn't a one-size-fits-all for anything so what i'll do is i'll think really hard about that and i'll make some tweaks and think about the context of the school um and then what i'll do is i'll, I'll think i've i think i've stumbled across something that might be successful sometimes you ditch a concept because you you know it's, it's a non-starter but then what i'll do is like you say I, I've, I've got in school some some sort of key advocates i suppose these people i've worked with quite a long time who know me and i know them really well um the sort of people i get an honest answer from yeah. so what i'll do is i'll we'll discuss the idea with those key players having done some thinking about it and i suppose, I suppose they're your advocates they're the people that believe in what you're doing and you believe in them um, and the, the teachers that have got a thirst and a headspace to think about sort of continually improving pedagogy so i'll i'll scope an idea out with them um, Especially those, you know, like I say, teachers, they've got to be classroom based. They've got to have a really sound knowledge of the context and the children in that school, just to give you some honest feedback. And then I'll sort of, that will initially sow a bit of a seed as to what's possibly to come. So they'll know me well enough that if I've come to them with an idea and, and I'm sounding off with them and, and getting some feedback from them, that I've done some thinking about it. And it's possibly something we're going to be looking at as a whole school thing. So what I'll do is I'll get them to, to sort of trial, stress test, or develop that concept a little bit more. Um, 
and give them a bit of space to innovate and develop it as well. So they'll, they'll kind of test it out, like say in the classroom. Um, and I'll probably get a bit of feedback, you know, that, that, that it'll be the context of their class. They'll, they'll talk to me about any issues. It might be a goer. I might need to go away and think about it again and, and do a bit more research because they might come back with saying, well, actually that ain't going to work here. Yeah. So what I'll then do is if it's a goer, then I'll, then we'll sort of, having got the buy-in from those key players, I'll sort of then roll out the concept to the whole staff. Now, I suppose the clever thing here in the fact is the fact that you've, you've passed on some of the ownership of that to a few key players in the school. Yeah. So when you're introducing it, you're not introducing it cold. And there's a few people in the school that have already had a go with it. They already believe it's a positive thing. Yeah. So that when you roll it out, any, any sort of dissenters, not, not that you get many of those, but any sort of dissenters, they're there, not, I wouldn't say dealt with, but they're easily managed by those key players. So a lot of the issues will have already been raised. So answers can come not just from me, but from actually people in the classroom at the chalk face. So that, that helps a lot. Um, they're also in a good position to iron out any issues or provide any support that's needed for that sort of concept. And that generally happens through sort of phase meetings or year group meetings or whatever schools have. Um, and that, that kind of works well that, that you've sort of disseminated that ownership um, yeah. across, across some of the school. And what, what I'll try and do, I guess, is have one of those key players in each year group, if possible, or yeah. in each phase. Um, so that they've got a bit of a heads up and nothing's, nothing's dropped cold on any of the staff. Um, then I suppose we've got in place at, at, at Cedars where, where I'm at the moment, a, we've got in place the teacher learning communities, these TLCs, which are, which are basically a professional learning community where we've really tried to develop sort of three or four years into the journey of that school. Um, having been very top down, trying to have a bottom-up approach for developing concepts. So that's an environment where um, you know, it's a safe place for teachers to discuss issues, talk about research, talk about development things. Um, no SLT involved in that, all, all classroom-based practitioners and SLT not there really, just so that everyone feels super comfortable opening up. Yeah. What we'll use is those, we'll use those TLCs then to develop that concept so it'll be dropped in and the TLCs operate in, in the fact that they'll, they'll meet every, every three weeks. They'll discuss the concept. They'll talk about any issues and they'll, from a bottom up perspective, try and iron out any issues to do with the uh, sort of con contextual issues and, and what they found in the classroom, which I can't do when I'm doing my thinking. I can do my best, but, you know, and, and think about the context, but I'm not in there day in, day out with those kids. So, that's the sort of implementation. And then it's having some systems to sort of monitor and, and sustain that approach. And, you know, we do that through a sort of coaching cycle where, you know, you, you constantly put in a spin and, and in sort of increasing that stickability of any concepts and sort of taking feedback from those concepts. So that's, that's kind of, it's kind of top down thinking, but bottom up development and, and ownership of a concept. So by the time it's hitting the ground and running, it's not my idea. It's been it's been developed into into something that that everyone has ownership of. 
and that, and that way you've got a you've got a much better chance of those concept concepts sticking yeah because i think when we see i mean i, I know certainly in my leadership i've been guilty of this in the past probably a lot of people have sometimes people will come up with a with a great idea but they're they're quite far removed maybe from daily classroom practice or they haven't thought it through they haven't got the leadership experience whatever it is and I think it's a beating, it's a, um, a world beating concept and then they'll launch it. So what you've described in your process is that you, you get the initial thoughts of the idea and before you go much further, you're bouncing off some key players to take some honest feedback. So you're not going down, you're not going too far down the road because the other thing is when people come in with a, what they think is a winning concept, the further they travel down that road, the less likely they are to row back on it if it doesn't work. So what you're doing is, you're essentially, you've got the nuggets of a good idea, you bounce off some people to see whether actually it is a good idea, and then from there, then you start to put some systems and stuff in place, yeah? Yeah, and it generally becomes, when you bounce off people, it generally becomes a better idea anyway. Yeah, totally. And, <laughs> you know, and the other, the other, the other loads thing... perspectives I don't see. You know what, sorry? There'll be loads of perspectives on yeah. it that I, I don't see. The, the other thing that you... Um, that you do, which people who listen to this won't, won't necessarily know. And what we'll do is we'll put a hyperlink to this podcast so that they can see some of, some of, of, of your work. But you are really good at taking a concept and putting it onto one side of A4 and making it highly visual. Uh, you know, you, you really like that side of graphic design, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, reading three pages and pages of stuff, you know, it, it becomes a bit monotonous, doesn't it? And, you know, when, you, when you're, like you say, when you're doing the, the day job, day in, day out in the classroom, you, you can't afford that sort of time. So it's, it's trying to distill it down into a, into a one-page thing with a one-page graphic, really, just so as not to overwhelm people. At what point do you start doing the one-page graphic? Do you do that when you've come up with an idea and you start to clarify it so you do the graphic first, or do you bounce off people, take feedback, then start to develop a graphic? Where do you go with that? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of, I think, I think I'll, I think it's, the system has to have, have gone through a certain amount of, of work first. Yeah. Um, so I'll, it'll be sort of the latter stages, I think. I suppose it'll be roughly around the time where it's coming up to launch and you'll want something that's got the really key salient points. Yeah. Um, and I'd, and, and for, for, for me, that's a little bit of play to be perfectly honest. That's a bit of, I wouldn't say downtime, but it gives you a bit of time to think about it very clearly. It gives you very, you know, a bit of time to think about what the key, the really key concepts are. Yeah. Um, and just trying to sort of filter your thinking really, and then sort of distill your thinking. And, and I enjoy that, you know, and, and, you know, I love, I, I love some of the work that lots of other people have done on sort of concentrating concepts and using icons and stuff like that, just yeah. to try and make those things sort of as visual as possible. You want something that can stick up on the wall as a, as a one page reminder. Yeah. And I think the good thing about that as well is that it's clear for everybody, but also it channels your thinking as a leader about essentially what are the, what is the, what's the main scaffold to your idea that you, don't want to deviate from doesn't it when you get it to one side of a4 you know we've done a lot of work thinking over the past few years haven't we that anyone can put a concept or a plan down over 5 10 15 pages it's the easiest thing in the world it's bureaucracy the hardest thing is to take an idea and a concept 
and distill it onto one side of A4, it takes absolutely, it takes ages to take that one idea and bring it down, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But I mean, that's all part of the sort of incubation process, really, and, and sort of distilling it down into, into something that's, that's clearly going to work. And really, you want to be you want to be giving something to staff that, that, that is one page, because, you know, I remember back to the days when I was in the classroom, you know, you don't get past the first page. If you're going to revisit something for a quick look, you want it there, there in your face. You don't want to be reading page after page. So just keeping it simple is, is the motto there. Yeah. And, and make sure you get make sure you get your thoughts really clarified about what it is exactly that you uh, that you want to do. Yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in turn, that that sort of rolling concepts out. Now, that's when the culture is good, and you've developed that over over a few years. But I've seen you when you're in a school when you've got your back to the wall, and the school's in a really poor place. You still manage to get some key buy-in from people when delivering concepts there. So I know you might use a slightly different approach, uh, but you still you were still really successful about getting the team around you, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, and that that's sort of harping back to to what I was talking about before, and that's that's getting that's really quickly in in sort of schools like that when you've got your back to the wall about. Get, getting and developing that that sort of leadership for development and, and making sure you've got some key players in, in place to, to enable that to happen. If you haven't got that, you're never going to get anything off the ground. So it is, it is about getting some people around you that, that are sort of, you know, advocates of what you do and, and, and are interested in research informed practice um, and want to do the same as you and roll out concepts so initially in the early stages of a sort of school development, you're sort of reliant on those people. The further down your road, the road you get, the wider that sort of spreads. Yeah. Well, the kind of easier it becomes in a way. But, you know, in those early stages, it is top down. You know, if a school's in trouble, you've got no choice. You know, it's putting in systems that you've known from the past or that you're interested in and sticking with them over time. And if people stick with you on that journey and they see those improvements, then that's kind of where you develop that sort of teacher development and, and put all those, those trust things in place. So by the time you get a couple of years down the line and you've had some impacts, you've got the buy-in from those staff anyway, and, and they want a piece of the action then and they're interested in, in doing it themselves. I was thinking with those schools as well, when, when you've got your back to the wall, what we've discovered, haven't we, about the way we work is... Those schools, the biggest thing that you can do going into them is if you've got concepts, is really you limit it to two or three key things and scrap, put all the rest on the back burner. And I think if you can go into a school and you can do that with two or three key concepts that are going to really make a difference, that quickly builds up respect with stuff, doesn't it? Because so many people go into schools and overload with sort of, you know, five, ten concepts particularly if it's a school that's in really bad shape, sometimes you need to improve everything, don't you, as you know? Yeah. So, you know, I remember with the school development plan for, for Cedars at the start, you'd listed, I think you'd listed three or four, but essentially you said, but it's everything. Yeah, it is everything. I mean, you, you, focus, on the, you focus on the basics, don't you? you? You know, schools like that, you're focusing on behaviour. Yeah. You know, you're focusing on, you know, getting consistency in, in practice of sort of maths and English. Yeah. Um, and then 
everything else is 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 probably not quite done in a strategic way but you're trying to constantly un underneath that develop some of those those softer things um to increase people's capacity to move on those things so you're right it feels initially that you're that you're changing everything and then schools like that you you know you're ripping everything out and replacing it but you know underneath it all you, you've got to sort of believe in the ability of others you know in the classroom to sort of develop and and and, and move those things forwards and and ultimately, if you if you've got that um, effective leadership for development in place, and enough people support those teachers, then it, it's going to work. If if people see that that it's having you know a positive impact. Yeah, and thinking back to those few day those early early days uh, at Cedars, I mean, when you walk around the the classes there now, there's a lot of consistency, and some of that is the systems you've put on um, sort of A one big a1 sheets aren't they where you've you've got a system it might be a questioning system it might be a behavioral system whatever it is you you've picked about some of those concepts you've distilled them and you've put them in every classroom haven't you as a highly visual tool for people yeah i mean really they like you say they're, they're just visual prompts of systems that have got a little bit more behind them so for a lot of that that's just a visual reminder to the teacher that that's the system we're using so there might be some you know a thing about sort of school i won't use school rules but you know the expectations of, of the school um there was there's there's, there's a school-wide there's a school-wide behavior policy as well and behavior system not not something that i was ever into as a teacher myself because i used to have to you know reinvent a behavior system with every class i i i got but that came from the staff they wanted some consistency you know um, classes were moving around a little bit to different groups doing PE and they wanted a system that could move with the class so that came from them um, then it was stuff about you know positivity sort of growth mindset stuff when that was all vogue um, um, and, and then like say some questioning systems you know people wasted a lot of time on Bloom's taxonomy and stuff like that and no one ever really got their heads around around that because it was way too complex so really simple systems of deepening you know teacher and pupil questioning and feedback so like you say just one page prompts of systems that have got a little bit more meat under them just to constantly remind people that's the system we're using in school and that, and that way you're getting that consistency and, and that has an impact on you know it has an impact on consistency of, of teaching and learning but consistency in pupil behavior as well and that you know that always has a positive knock-on effect to to everything that goes on in school. So if we if if we move this on now away from sort of you know head teacher deputy head level, if we take this down to a subject leader, and the subject leader is going to be rolling out a concept in this next academic year, what top two or three tips would you be giving for a subject leader on their on their concept design? When we know leadership wise, when you're stepping into that role. It's the toughest, isn't it? Because you're leading with your peers. When you're a head or a deputy, it's easy. everyone expects you to lead. It's a lot harder to lead when you are on the ground with because you have all of the, all of the um, all of the politics that goes with it, don't you? I suppose. What, what would you say to a subject leader doing some concept development? Yeah, well, we'll take it as a given that they've got support from the leadership. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I suppose sort of top two or three tips would be um 
I guess it would be develop some sort of system, whether that's a, developing a team for your subject or, or whatever, where you've got some strong believers or advocates to, to bounce those ideas off. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't advocate dropping anything cold on anyone. I, I would first sort of use that to refine your ideas, you know, people on the ground um, doing their business day in, day out in the classroom, really try yeah. and get a spread across the school as well. So that's kind of the first thing I'd do. And I guess that, you know, lots of schools will be developing teams for subjects. So they'll, they'll try and spread those teams across the school. So they're getting impact from all key stages as well. So that's sort of tip number one, really. Don't do it on your own. Try and develop it and bounce it off other people. Um, I always, I'd always try well, the concepts I've introduced, have a bit of a soft start as well. Okay. Don't just launch it cold, massive. Um, you know, get your key players or people on your team, trial it, do it yourself, do it yourself first, run it, roll it out in your classroom, get the key players to roll it out, iron out any issues. You know, get some feedback of the of sort of things that have gone right, things that have gone wrong, things yeah. related to context. Try and iron all those things out just to make it as soon as possible when you do roll it. Uh, and to give you a bit of credibility in the fact that you've, you've tried it already. Yeah. And then when you roll it out, you know, give, give staff the ownership, give them some bottom-up ownership of its development. Allow them to innovate a little bit and come back with you know some suggestions and try and have that sort of flex for that sort of peer collaboration to give to give them sort of ownership um i guess those those are sort yeah, of three yeah. things yeah yeah okay so don't do it on your own build yeah. make sure you get some a group of people around you and then go for a soft start and then um don't hold it too tight don't be too proud about it take some feedback and if and if the feedback works and improves the idea take it on board yeah great yeah definitely and then and, and sort of rely on sort of leadership to back you up yeah yeah i think great great um great advice now moving on from the from the concepts and things just as we're coming to a close whenever we're interviewing people on on the podcast we always like to try and get a little bit to know a little bit about what makes people tick and what their formative development has been in their careers and things. So who's had the biggest influence? Now it doesn't have to be in anyone in education. It can be, it's whoever, who's had the biggest influence on getting you where you are to date, do you think? Um, oh, that's quite difficult. I mean, I suppose I have to go right back to the beginning. Um, I was never really interested in being a teacher. I'd, right. I'd, Absolutely no thought in my head whatsoever of being a teacher. Um, went to university, did geology at university, um, ended up coming out of there um, in the sort of early 90s. Bottom had dropped out of the oil industry because of the, the sort of early 90s recession um, and sort of drifted into working in um, sort of in pharmaceuticals, in the pharmaceutical industry. Right. At that point, I'd... Uh, a friend that I'd, that I'd made at university whose parents had uh, parents had just retired from teaching actually I think I think a, a dad was a, 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 a college lecturer and mum was a primary teacher um, and I don't know how we got talking about it but just how I was sort of bored and a bit despondent with the job I was doing um, 
every day seemed to be the same. Uh, and they sort of, I guess, sowed the seed and had some conversations around sort of perhaps going into teaching. Right. Um, and that the, it, that they'd find that, that they know that I find it a challenge, and that definitely no two days were the same. Um, so it kind of spiraled from there. And they <clears throat> then organised um, a couple of a couple of days visiting a couple of schools. So I sort of popped in and, and got a bit of a taste for it. Quite liked it. Um, and then I suppose fortuitously the, the company I was working for got bought out by a, a French company and they were looking for to slim the operation down a little bit so they were offering not that I've been working there very long but they were offering him sort of redundancies and that was kind of enough money for me to to survive for a year without an income to do a PGCE right. so applied for a PGCE um, Got in, got a lot of coaching from from my friend's parents as well, who you know clearly knew about teaching. Um, got in on the PGC, and then and kind of that was it. I suppose the rest is history from there, really. Oh, right, that's uh, yeah, good. So, yeah, from from not having any interest in teaching at all to you know finding a career that sort of sort of kept me interested for the interested for the past sort of twenty five years, which is um, you know is no mean feat. Certainly never boring, is it? No, definitely not. Especially not at the moment. <laughs> Especially, especially when you're choosing to work in challenging schools as well. It always keeps you on your toes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, right, the final thing is as well then, what about a time when you've, um, in education, um, has there ever been a time when you felt like jacking it in, you've had your back to the wall, self-doubt, anything along those lines where you've had a, a sort of career-defining moment where it could have gone either way? Have you ever had that? Um, well, I've kind of been lucky enough really in my career to work the working places and work with people that have that have constantly been looking for the next thing and, and constantly changing so i'm lucky enough not to have been in a in a very static environment ever so that's always good um i suppose the back to the back to the wall situation that really changed my thinking and and and, and pushed me towards a more systematic and strategic approach to things was was my sort of um, my first Ofsted as a, as, a, as a head teacher, I guess. I mean, I was seconded to a school that was sort of on the brink of dropping into special measures um, and trying to develop that and move it forwards. Um, and that was pretty much firefighting. And, and, and at that point, I'd, I'm not sure I had a real systematic in, approach to, to, what, to what I was doing. I don't think the school had many systems. Um, so I was sort of tasked with preventing the school going into special measures. And I thought, to be honest, I thought everything was moving in the right direction. I think, you yeah. know, the school had a lot more positivity about it. Uh, we got systems in place. We got some consistency. So that was great until, until the Ofsted call came. And, and, I was, and to be honest, I was, I was reasonably confident. First morning um, went really well. We had a lead inspector that had come from Cornwall. I thought things were going pretty well. I thought I'd got the measure of them in the fact that they didn't have much idea of the context of, of an inner city school. Yeah. Um, so it went really well. And then at lunchtime, we had an HMI turn up on a quality assurance visit for the lead inspector. Right. And things just started to unravel. <laughs> so okay. things unraveled pretty quickly. And I think the lead inspector was under a certain amount of pressure because the, uh, the HMI was in. And it just got a hell of a lot tougher, right? Just instantly. So 
I mean, to cut a long story short, ended up in a in a bit of a battle really to 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 stop it from going into measures. Um, and uh, you know, I think we've done enough to to prevent that. But it was a bit of a slog, and there's some back to the wall moments. Um, you know, and, and and I guess at that point, I kind of resigned myself to the fact that I didn't have enough systems in place to answer all the questions well enough. Right. Um, and then I sort of vowed to to never never to be in that system, you know that place again. So right. I guess I guess that was the point when I became more systematic and. I started thinking about concepts really clearly and, and sort of systematically to, to the point where I guess you're asking me about those sort of things now. So yeah. it was born out of personally what I would consider failure um, yeah. situation that I didn't really want to be in um, uh, and a vow never to be in that situation again. Well, and, and you know what, honestly, when, when, when we, um, when we have situations like that, absolute nightmare at the time, isn't it? I mean, no one enjoys that, particularly when you've put your heart and soul into something. But it is when the best learning takes place. I mean, imagine where you'd be if you if you hadn't have had that grilling from HMI. I mean, you might not have gone on to achieved. I mean, you you probably would have done, but definitely that's um, that that's been a big help in structuring you, then, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it really pointed out what what I hadn't done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so it's kind of totally exposed me really in my sort of naivety to to, to the system really um, and, and not that you're out to play the system but just to tighten everything up to make sure that there's that clarity and that everyone's really clear about what systems are in place and what their role and what their part is in that system yeah. to sort of tie any sort of triangulation together and and I hadn't got that down at that time you know a bit too sort of early on and a bit naive about it all really yeah. Um, you know, and it's just making sure that you, you know, like anything, you're not, you know, only a fool gets themselves into that situation again, don't they? Well, that's it. You do it the first time, you learn from it. The second time, you shouldn't be repeated, should it? No, no, absolutely. Well, listen, thanks so much for for the time and for coming on and speaking to us. It's been, it's been really good to hear that, and really good to hear some of your personal stories as well. And um, thanks very much, Joe. You're welcome. Cheers, Steve. Well, we hope that you found today's podcast really useful and that Joe's ideas on concept design are going to help you moving forwards in your practice. As always, this has been a Robin Hood Multi-Academy Trust production. If you want to get in touch with us, you can contact us on Twitter via at Robin Hood Trust. Until next time, catch you later.